We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. All right, thank you. Welcome this evening to our Bible study at 7.30 here on July, what is it, the 26th today, Wednesday evening. Let's turn to Acts chapter 3, please, as we've studied uh, well for now in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 3, it says this, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now as the lame man was Uh, who was healed, held on to Peter and John. All the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So we have in in verses 1 to 11 a narrative that through a miracle uh, authenticated the messengers Peter and John as indeed messengers of Christ. They uh, gave to the man what he needed, not what he wanted. He asked for money, basically, right? But they gave him something better than money. In fact, Peter says, I don't have any silver and gold for you, but what I do have, I give you. So he gave freely. Freely you've received, freely give, Jesus told them when he sent them out in Acts, or rather Matthew chapter 10. And uh, similarly, in this portion, uh, he did as well. Now, I don't know what this gentleman what his problem exactly was, uh, you know, as far as a medical diagnosis. We know that he couldn't walk by himself, and so perhaps he had some kind of birth defect. Perhaps he had some mishap during his birth that caused him to not have the proper oxygen and was uh, unable to stand and walk on his feet. Whatever the case was, it says that he was lame from his mother's womb. And so he was so much so that he had to be carried and laid at the gate. So it's a really difficult case, if you can imagine uh, having that. Um, Maybe he had some kind of terrible club foot situation where he couldn't walk. You can imagine things that today we would uh, either not be able to solve or sometimes we would with surgeries and casts and things like that and 
and uh, he was not able to have access to that back in this day, so much more difficult time of it. So he asks for these alms. And so Peter and, um, and John, you know, tell him, look, we don't have any money, but uh, we'll give you what we have. Money was not his big need. The gospel was the big need. And even uh, he didn't recognize that at first, but he, he felt, uh, or they, they showed that uh, one of his other needs was this uh, healing, this physical healing. So he, they did that for him. But uh, notice that we can't do this today. And uh, it's not for us to be able to heal somebody in this manner. So we have to trust the Lord uh, to do that. Notice in verses 12 to 16 what the uh, Apostle Peter says. He says when, Peter, what says, when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us? As though by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk. So... He's saying, don't look at us. We're not the people who did this. Jesus is the one who did this, he's going to say. But notice, you know, people today wanted to talk about power evangelism and have to do these sorts of signs and wonders in order to gather a crowd like they feel this passage is about. And uh, they, you know, it seems like puff themselves up as ones who would have this power or this godliness but in every case here, Peter is saying, look, direct attention away from us. We are not the guys, okay? We are not that important. We are not the reason why this happened. It wasn't our own power. It wasn't our own ability. It wasn't our own sanctification, our own godliness that made this man to walk. Nothing special in us. Uh, the same kind of thing happened with Paul and Barnabas. Remember when they were mistaken for Zeus and Hermes? I think it's in Acts chapter 14. And the people are looking at them as if, wow, there's something special. But they're saying, look, we're nothing. We're just men like you are, people, human nature. We're pointing you to Christ. So have our focus there uh, where it ought to be. The power that caused the healing miracle was the crucified and risen Prince of Life, God's servant Jesus, and faith in Him. It all revolves around Christ. Look at verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him, lowercase him, this the man, the lame man, has given this lame man this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So he really kind of hammers away just like he did back in chapter 2, in verse 36, when he said in 2.36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. So despite, here's one of these concessions here that we were talking about in our Sunday school, despite the fact that they crucified him, God made him Lord and Christ. Okay, He is Lord he is Messiah. He has that highest station, that name which is above every name, 
that at that name every knee should bow. And uh, that's the name, and, and I'm sorry, that's the, the train of thought here I'm trying to get across to you is that Peter says, confronts them and says, look, you, you killed this guy. You handed him over. Pilate uh, was you know, insistent that he was uh, you know, going to let him go because he was innocent, but you denied him. So this is your fault, but this fellow that you denied obviously rose from the dead, and he's, in his power has made this man perfectly sound before you all. In the presence of you all, verse 16 says. Now in verse 17 through 21, I want you to look, and Peter continues his message by calling for repentance. Yet now, brothers, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Here it is, repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So he continues his message by telling the people to repent of their sins. You, you know, yes, we acknowledge you did this in ignorance. You didn't know who it really was. Your rulers didn't know. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, if the rulers of this world had known the Lord of glory, they would not have, I'm sorry, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they knew who it was that they were dealing with, they wouldn't have done it, but they were ignorant. And of course, it was a culpable ignorance. And so those things which God foretold were fulfilled, even the Jews fulfilled those things, even though you would think they wouldn't want to because they wouldn't want to be the ones who are guilty of killing the Messiah. But uh, there he was, and they did that. So Paul, Peter says, repent. Turn away from your sin. Turn away from all that you did before and be converted. Okay, so conversion is, is a two-piece kind of two piece thing. Okay, It's a two-piece suit. One part of it is to repent, uh, to uh, you know, turn away from sin. The other is to exercise faith in Christ. And then that transformation of conversion occurs. When that happens, repent and be converted. No baptism there, by the way. That your sins may be blotted out. So there's the forgiveness aspect, the remission of sins. So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So here's the interesting connection. We're talking about you people need to repent and be converted or be saved, exercise faith in the Messiah, the one that you previously denied. Instead of denying him, you need to receive him. But uh, not only are we talking about individual salvation, you, you do this and your sins will be blotted out, you and you corporately. And then it says, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Do you know what that refers to? It doesn't just refer to, oh, I feel refreshed. Times of refreshing is a corporate eschatological reality. When you repent the way that you're supposed to, Israel, 
then Jesus will come back. Notice verse 20, and that he may send Jesus Christ who has preached to you before. That's the second coming. You with me? So when you guys appropriately respond with repentance and you're converted, your sins are washed away, at some time after that, God is going to send a time of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. This isn't, this isn't a uh, kind of promise of the kingdom to come right away, necessarily. And why is that? Well, because it says in 21, heaven must receive this one until the time of restoration. So at some time in the future, we don't know when that's going to be, but it's ne- a necessary condition for his coming is that Jewish people get saved. And a necessary condition for his coming is that you be saved. Uh, you know, you corporately now, and I don't know that every one of you is going to be saved. I pray that you all are, will be at some point in the future. But there have to be people saved because that's what God's plan is in this age. Okay, he's not, he's not just waiting around for nothing to happen. He's exercising long-suffering toward you, not willing that you know the verse. He's awaiting. He's allowing people to have opportunity for salvation. So every, every year that passes by and all the evil and bad things that come with it also bring other things, people's salvation, which are good things. And so we can see those as reasons why God permits the ongoing evil in the world because there's also ongoing good that's happening in souls that are being born and raised and saved and on their way to heaven. So um, where are we at here? Be converted. God's going to send this time of refreshing. Oh, yeah, and my train of thought, I got off on that. So the issue is that not only does God speak about individual salvation, but he's talking about now a, a uh, cosmological restoration. Salvation, Christian, Christianity is not, again, just about me and me getting saved and having a happy time in heaven. Salvation has to do with our being washed from our sins and corporately this earth being restored and renewed. Times of refreshing will come at an appropriate point from the Lord when Jesus returns. But in the meanwhile, heaven has to receive him until that time of restoration, which God spoke by the mouth of all his prophets since the world began. So it's been a long time coming, still is coming. We look forward to it soon, we hope, but not so soon that our loved ones would be left behind and not born again in the appropriate time. But heaven will receive him until that time. What is he doing in heaven right now, Jesus? Well, he's, um, the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 10, that he's waiting, I think it's 10, until his enemies be made his footstool. So he's waiting. Uh, He's interceding for you, uh, being your advocate before the Father, and, of course, exercising his normal godly duties. You know what I mean by that? Just God. He's sovereign. He rules over the... The heavens, his, his throne is set in the heavens and he rules over all and, and so on. That's what he's doing. But he is there until the time of restoration of all things. Now, verse 22, 
uh, Peter finishes his sermon, and he says this, For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets, from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. Notice that Samuel is called a prophet there. Did you know that? It's interesting. He's a prophet. I've taken Samuel also to be um, kind of the, uh, you could say, the last of the judges. Remember? Joshua, Judges, the end of Judges into 1 Samuel. You have Samuel show up, and it says that he went around and judged in his itinerant circuit. So he was a, he was a, a judge, not necessarily one of the ones that, you know, like, raised up uh, like Gideon or somebody that you know, defeated the Midianites or something. But um, Samuel, prophet, judge. Um, and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. So again, he's speaking now to a Jewish audience, and he's saying, look, your Bible tells you this. When are you going to start believing it? You are the sons of the prophets. And of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning every one of of you away from your iniquities. You want to have a blessed life? What's the best blessing you can have? Being turned away from your iniquities. Look at that. He sent Jesus to bless you in or by turning away every one of you from your iniquities. A blessed life is not having all the riches in the world. A blessed life is having your sins taken away. That's the most important. So uh, Peter finishes by reflecting on the Old Testament promises of a prophet like Moses and the seed from Abraham. Um, And let's look at a couple more details here in these verses. In Acts chapter 3... God spoke about raising, uh, or the Bible spoke about God raising up Jesus from the dead, but this is not the raising that 322 and 326 speak about. Let me just go back there and look in in, uh, in, uh, 315. It says, He killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead. Okay, that's arising from the dead. But in then 322, it says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. And 3.26, to you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you. I think there's two different senses of the word raise here. One is to raise somebody from the dead, out of the dead ones. And the other one is to elevate them as a prophet in their midst, to kind of set them above the others. So you have bodily resurrection in one case and God, in in the other case, God raising up Jesus or elevating him in the sense of bringing him onto the scene. An important historical person is coming. Uh, Moses said, God's going to raise up a prophet. For Samuel chapter 2, God's going to raise up a faithful priest. Jeremiah 23, 5, I'm going to raise up a, a, a king to you. The branch of righteousness, that's the kind of raising that we're talking about here. 
Um, the fact that God did this shows that he means real business. Look at, uh, or if you have the Bible there in front of you and can quickly go to Deuteronomy chapter uh, 18. Deuteronomy 18, look at verse number 23. Wait a minute, did I say? It's quoted in verse 23 of Acts 3. That's what I meant. But in Deuteronomy 18, 15, or 19 rather, Deuteronomy 18, 19, it shall be that whoever will not hear my words which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. Do you know what it means, I will require it of him? Well, that's what Acts 3.23 is interpreting here in its translation. It shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet will be utterly destroyed from the people. That's what it means. I will require it of him means you're in big trouble, big time trouble. If you don't listen to Jesus, God said on the Mount of Transfiguration, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, then what did he say? Anybody remember? Listen to him. Hear ye him, the King James says. No, I'm not going to listen to God. I'm not going to listen to His Son. You're just sealing your destruction that way if you continue in that path. Please don't continue down that path. It's very foolish. Don't listen to God. Who else are you going to listen to? Some guru? Some professor? Some book? In Hebrews chapter 2, it says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation that at the first began to be spoken by the apostles and those that heard him and was confirmed by signs to many? And we all saw that, he says in Hebrews 2, 1 through 4. So back to Acts chapter 3. In, in fact, uh, he says, not even, you don't even have to wait till the apostles in the New Testament. All the prophets from Samuel, those who follow, also foretold these days. They foretold that uh, there's going to be a coming king, there's going to be a kingdom, a king, a priest, a prophet. Um, there's, no, there's nothing new here. It's all been proclaimed and prophesied before. There is a hiatus in between the glorification of Christ and His ruling, which we're waiting for to come, but we're in that kind of interregnum right now. Interregnum meaning in between reign. We're between when He left and when He's coming back. But when He comes back, He will indeed reign in glory from Jerusalem. So, especially for Jewish people, this should be poignant because, look, you are sons of the prophets. You are sons of the prophets. I wonder if you went through uh, and looked at all the prophets, where they came from, what tribes they were in, which tribes would be covered by all the prophets. You look at Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and, and Micah and Hosea and Malachi and Zephaniah and Zechariah and Haggai and Obadiah. And they, what, what 
What tribes would be covered? I wonder if all of them would be covered. I need to do a little study there. You're sons of the prophets. If you're a Jewish person, you're an offspring of this nation. Okay, You're an offspring of Abraham. All those prophets came out of Abraham. You're sons of those prophets. And you're sons of the covenant, which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Don't you want to have a connection by faith to that? Because remember, as Paul says elsewhere, not all those who are of Israel are truly Israel. You can be born with ethnicity of a Jew, but if you don't have the faith of Abraham, you're not really a child of Abraham. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you can, you can be a, a Jew, but not really. You just abandon the faith of your fathers and go your own way, secular as can be, and you're not one of them, really. The Bible makes that clear. So, but you, you're, you're organically connected to these people. Why don't you believe? So to you first, you know, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek or Gentile, to you first, God having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you. So what profit is there in being a Jewish person? Well, much in every way. To them came the oracles of God. To them pertained the service of the tabernacle, the prophets, the holy scriptures. And out of, the, out of the Jews, salvation came. Jesus said that to the woman at the well. Remember that? Salvation is of the Jews. That's true. To you first, you had the first place. You, were the, you had the first crack at the Messiah. Jesus raised up from the dead. And God sent him to bless you. He sent Jesus to bless you, and you cursed him. You killed the prince of life, and so you need to repent. How did he bless? He blessed in turning every one of you away from your iniquities. These were not merely nationalistic, ethnocentric hopes, but they were to remember that God was doing something for the Gentiles as well through the Messiah. And it's still the nature of this blessing that Peter is trying to get across to them. Abraham had it. All the families of the earth had it available to them to, uh, through Christ. But the nature of it itself was an opportunity to turn away from iniquity and thus to be saved from sin. This blessing had to do with justification so it gathers up into it under this idea of this blessing. It gathers up the ideas of repentance, conversion, forgiveness, the imputation of Christ's righteousness. And, and that's really where Peter uh, ends, ends his message. He's asked them to repent. Be converted. Your sins can be washed away. And this is what Jesus came for, to turn you away from your iniquities, to uh, raise you up out of darkness and bring you into his marvelous light to bring you to uh, repent, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the message of the gospel that Peter preached to these people, again, in, now in his second sermon. And uh, he didn't have um, a lot more time after that because chapter 4 tells us as they spoke, the officials came upon them and arrested them so they wouldn't have any more to say about it uh, until later when they got out of uh, out of jail
So that's the message for tonight from Acts chapter 3, the apostle uh, Peter and John giving this great message to the people, calling them to repent. And so we just recite the same thing to you uh, tonight. It may be a help to you as you evaluate your own spiritual life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your kindness in giving us the word. It is a blessing to know how to be uh, saved from our sins. It is a blessing to be turned away from iniquity because any of us who have lived in iniquity and any portion of our lives, which all of us have at some point, but perhaps later in our life when we're more self-conscious and aware than we were when we were smaller children, we, uh, we know the pain and the suffering that that causes. And I pray that you would help us to recognize the blessing of being turned away from that by your grace. Help us, uh, we pray in Jesus' name. May you rest upon each one, your spirit, the work of your word, and uh, take us from here tonight. If we're gathered in this room with the blessing and safe passage along the road, thank you for the rains from heaven today. Although some of us experience power outages and down trees and different things like that, we are grateful for uh, the nice portions and, uh, of, of the storm and uh, just the sound of the rain watering and cleaning the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.